welcome to How Fitting, the podcast about creating fashion and growing a business that fits your customer, your lifestyle, and your values. I'm your host, Allison Haynes. Today, I'm joined by Leah Longville of Polished Prints. So welcome to the show, Leah. Thank you for having me, Allison. Yeah. For those listening who are meeting you for the first time, could you share a little bit about who you are and what you do? Yeah. So, um, Allison said, I'm Leah Longville. I'm the owner here at Polished Prints. So Polished Prints is essentially like a lifestyle brand for moms and kids. We do everything from apparel to accessories, drinkware, all kinds of things with the the overarching theme is just to, to create a little positivity um, and just bring a little bit more acceptance and love out, out into the world. So I started it in 2018 um, and have been doing it, doing it ever since. I have a graphic design background and I'm also a mom of three. So that's just all the things about me in a nutshell. Yeah. Yeah. So cool. And your, your prints and the pieces you have are super cute so thank you thank you yeah so you you said um graphic design is your background how did you kind of get into the fashion and kind of lifestyle business oh man so um so long story short while graphic design is my background I actually didn't go to school for that I went to school for journalism um with a focus in advertising and integrated marketing and what um, I did after school was work for nonprofits. And um, with that took on so many different hats, including a lot of graphic design work. And I found a lot of joy in that. But you know, my my love for fashion and my passion for it dates all the way back to when I was a kid. My mom always jokes about how I would draw pictures of um, women wearing dresses I would design or come up with these, you know, fake companies as a child to, um, all of them were, were circled around clothes, but honestly, I mean, I grew up in a small town. I didn't think that I, there was ever a way to, um, to get into that space unless, you know, I went to a really big school or I really had, Mm -hmm. um, you know, a certain type of background. So I kind of put it on the back burner. And then after I had my daughter, I just wasn't super fulfilled professionally. So I started doing a lot of freelance work in the graphic design space. And, you know, at the same time, having a newborn, I started to realize the lack of options that were out there when it came to onesies. Um, It seemed like everything was really bright colored, or had sayings on them that I really wasn't into. So what I did is I took those graphic design skills and I started designing onesies myself and printing them in our guest bedroom, kind of like a hobby, um, you know, something for me because, you know, being a mom, especially in the newborn phase is so demanding and, you know, amazing, but also can take its toll in different ways. And at the same Mm -hmm. time, freelancing for other clients, I didn't really have a lot of time for myself. So that kind of became my thing and it just really took off. So I just kind of have followed it as it's grown from there. Yeah. So, and I I feel like a lot of businesses kind of start out that way. It's like, there's like a personal need or 
um, a creative pursuit that started and then other people are like, oh, that's cool. I want that too. And, and it, like, you kind of fall into the business side <laughs> accidentally. Um, is that kind of what happened with you too? Like, did you ever see this becoming a business when you first started? No. And honestly, at the time, I didn't really want it to. Like, I didn't want to put the pressure on it to have it be something other than what I enjoyed doing. Mm -hmm. um, and because I was still freelancing and that was my my income, I didn't have to have any type of pressure on it. You know, everything I ever made, I put right back into it um, until it started to grow to a place where I was like, OK, I kind of either need to choose to do this full time or, you know, step away because it was at that crossroads. So that was really when I, I made the decision. But, you know, to answer your question, it, it I never really expected it to be anything more than just just a hobby. Yeah. Yeah. And that's so interesting that and I think that's really how, how things can shift where, you know, at first you didn't want it to be a business, but then later on, you're like, OK, this is maybe. Yeah, I'm guessing by that point, your daughter was a little bit older and not yeah. newborn anymore. And it was like, okay, things are right to actually make this a business now. Um, so when you were first making these pieces, you're, you're, you started off with just onesies, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, and you were doing the graphics. So where, where were you kind of like sourcing the actual onesies? Yeah. I mean, honestly, I bought them off of like Jiffy shirts, jiffyshirts.com. So I had the hardest time finding onesies that were the color I wanted that weren't, you know, the primary colors were decent quality. So that was the only site. I think I used a brand called, you know, rabbit skins or, or something like that. Gotcha. Um, so you were like sourcing kind of the blank onesies and then printing on them. Um, when did, like, how long kind of into this when you were just doing this for like yourself and making pe like onesies for your daughter, did you kind of realize, oh, other people are interested in this too? You know, it didn't really take long because something that I've always really loved is, you know, the marketing and design aspect. So I had a lot of fun taking photos of what I would create for her and posting them online. So, and I wasn't doing that necessarily under my own name. Like I previously had designed stationery for friends or invitations, you know, for friends' weddings and, um, and had been sharing them under the name Polished Prince. So I just mm -hmm. kind of started posting the onesies on there. And it seemed really, it, pretty quickly, other, you know, random people on the internet started, um, like, I mean, being into them in the same way that I was. And so that's when I, I started selling them on Etsy too. Okay, so you started off on Etsy. That was I was gonna ask of like, if you were just making them for yourself and you didn't have like the whole kind of business side set up, how how did that come about? Or like, what were some of the things other than posting on Etsy that like once you realized, oh, this could be a business, or I want this to be a business that you did to actually set up the the business side to support the interest in the actual pieces you were making? Yeah, and I. Well, and it was nice having already had the stationary um, thing set up. You know, I had a really good friend at the time who was a lawyer and she, when I started doing stationary in the beginning, was um, really big on having me make it all official. So I already had, you know, I was already set up as a sole proprietor. I already had my EIN number all for doing stationary. And 
So I basically just started, you know, selling the onesies under the Etsy shop that I had already created and just transitioning all of that over to being something entirely different. So the business side, you know, I already had the foundation set up a little bit, but I had no idea how to do the shipping or the packaging or any of that. All of that was just honestly a a learn as I went type of thing. Mm hmm. Yeah. So was that like the biggest challenge kind of on the business side then of like, what do I do for this? Yeah. You know, I will say like, I, I honestly felt like the business side came fairly natural to me. I had, when I mentioned I worked for nonprofits, one of my very first jobs out of college was being the marketing manager, but also the office manager. So I had to keep track mm-hmm. of all the expenses and QuickBooks and I had to um, you know, make sure everything, like we had to tax certain products. So I, I had a general understanding of that, which I think really helped me. But, you know, the SEO aspect of Etsy, figuring out how to get the product out there using that type of technology was a challenge. But because I didn't have the pressure of making money, I feel like it also gave me the freedom to try a lot of different things and be okay with failing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's huge to be, to not have the pressure. I think um, it can be so much more like scary and, and feel risky to start a business when you're like throwing all your eggs in that one basket and you're like, this better work out. Otherwise I won't be able to like buy food and pay my rent next month. Right. It's like so much more pressure than you make different decisions when you know, like, okay, I, I would like to make money eventually, but I don't need to make money like today in order to live. And it's, I, I think it's much easier to make like better long-term decisions and, and really have time to, like you said, experiment and find like what works best in this area or where do I need to like expand my understanding or knowledge in order to do this right and taking the time to do that and without the pressures is huge. Totally. Yeah. And I think, have you ever read the book, Big Magic? I have not, but I've heard a lot about it. So Okay. Yeah. It's so good. And I actually just, um, listened to the audio book for the first time. I'd read the book a while back and then re-listened. And she talks a lot about this, about how it can really, I don't know, hinder your creative abilities to start putting all this pressure on yourself as an artist. Um, Mm -hmm. And I really felt that because it was, you know, for me, I was having so much fun creating these things and having them resonate with people because I've always been a creative person, but I've never had an opportunity to share that. And so it was like the first time I felt like I was also kind of coming into myself and starting this brand, but I didn't, you know, if I wanted to step away or if it didn't work or if it didn't stick, it was like, that's okay. Because I am doing something totally different, you know, to help provide for my family. So I feel like that in itself, you know, was a very lucky thing for me. Mm -hmm. Um, But it was also, you know, I think helped me create the brand and have it be what it is today. Yeah. Yeah, it's a good point of like it it definitely is a a privilege to be in that position. You know, not totally. everybody has a second job or a side job or you know other a partner who can kind of provide in the meantime while starting a business. So, I I was kind of in this similar way where I I quit my full-time job to start my business, but I had saved up and my husband was like, okay, we can, we'll be fine if you don't make money for a while, you know, (laughs) 
Yeah. And so it, I really appreciated that. Of, but I know like not everybody can, but it's like, if you plan ahead and you are able to, it makes it so much easier. Absolutely. And, you know, <clears throat> I think about that too. It's like so many other moms starting businesses. Um, Cause for me, we also were, you know, privileged enough to where my daughter went to daycare most of the time. So like I'd have mm-hmm. those days where I would work on my projects for other clients, but then also have an opportunity to explore my own creative self. And that, again, I think allowed me to really own in on what our style is and what the whole purpose of the of the brand is too. And I know a lot of people don't, don't have that. So I'm definitely mm-hmm. very grateful. Yeah, so this is a great segue to, I want to ask more about like, what are the values of polished prints that like the brand is built on? Um, and, you know, you mentioned, yeah, what is the style? What is the yeah, the values behind the brand. Yeah. So I feel like it has shifted just a little bit over time. So when it started, you know, as I mentioned, it was really all about creating onesies for kids that I felt like didn't exist and then t-shirts for kids and then matching adult wear. And the whole idea was that, um, you know, it was during a time where I felt like I got to an age where I started to really recognize just, you know, there was a lot of negativity out there in the world. And I Mm -hmm. um, felt like I was getting bombarded with that on the news and then conversations with other people. And, um, and just, it was hitting me in a lot of different ways. So I focused on positive things and I put things like our first design, which is still one of the mainstays in our collection today. It said, be the good. Mm -hmm. And I've always been inspired by a little bit of like a vintage res- retro aesthetic. And so that's, that's where I went with it. And all the sayings were just positive, love thy neighbor, things like that, that people can feel proud to messages, people can feel proud to spread um, through the clothing mm-hmm. that they're putting on their kids. And so that was really the thing. It was all about spreading kindness. We partnered with, I say we, it was really just me at the time, partnered <laughs> with a um, number of nonprofits to help raise money for you know, organizations really supporting women and kids. Um, we worked with a lot of other women entrepreneurs who are also in, you know, the small shop space, getting their brand started, whether they were staying at home with their kids or working full-time doing this on the side um, to help share their stories. So that was really what I wanted it to be was just this empowering, uplifting space for women and kids. And as I started to grow into the brand um, and we started manufacturing in, we started that process in 2020 and then really started doing it in 2021. I started to explore other apparel and other things that we could bring into the brand outside of printed graphics and mugs and things like that. So that's, I think, when the shift really focused and at the same time, or at the fo- my focus really shifted, um, but at the same time, I was pregnant with my third, who it just turned a year old. And at I, you know, I started to really feel like there weren't that many options out there for women who, you know, were pregnant that weren't maternity wear um, mm-hmm. items that, you know, you can that kind of transition you through that period, but that you can also wear postpartum. And so that was the first focus that kind of, I don't know, shifted <clears throat> the entire brand is that um, is trying to create more products that are not just cute and stylish but also really functional and the focus on that really is I mean millennial moms Mm -hmm. 
Because yeah, I, I think, yeah, oh, sorry. <laughs> no, I was just going to say, I feel like that age group is really overlooked for a lot of clothing and, um, you know, and some of those shifts can be as simple as changing the material or changing the fit of something very simple, but it just helps women feel more comfortable in their bodies when they're wearing things that are designed for them. Mm-hmm. Totally. And I, I love that it's like so specific. I think the like best and many of the most successful brands are super focused on their customer, like who they're designing for, who they're making for. And just like you said, like really aware of what would make them feel their best, even if it's like just the little tweaks, but it's like, mm-hmm. there's no way you know what those little tweaks need to be unless you really knew who you were like making the pieces for so um that's so cool that you've kind of um started out one way and I feel like you 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 mentioned that it's shifted but I I feel like you just expanded what the original mission was it's not like you make a, a total you know 180 pivot you it just sounds like you've kind of grown into that and like further into that scene totally niche. yeah I, I completely agree with you there. I think that, um, you know, we started out just really in the graphic tea space and then expanded a lot more into basics, which honestly have taken off and been more popular and sold better, you know, faster than any of our, our graphic teas really did. So it's also cool to see how much that's needed. Mm-hmm. So with the, these values that the brand is built on, like you mentioned how that kind of plays out in like the sayings and like what is printed on the t-shirts and the onesies and mugs and stuff. Um, are there any other ways that those values of polished prints impact um, the way you run the business? Absolutely. Um, you know, one, I think the way that we manufacture our products. So we've always worked with a factory that holds very similar values. Um, you know, they're paying, sorry, they're providing on-site childcare assistance. They're paying fair and consistent wages. Um, they're providing medical assistance for their, for their makers. And that was all really important to me. They take a very sustainable approach. So they're a zero waste factory, which is incredible for us mm-hmm. to be able to say like all of the fabric for these were used. You know, it was so funny when I, um, first started down this path of manufacturing because I have quite literally zero experience in that prior to this. I thought it would be cool if we used excess fabric to make like tote bags or something like that. And I remember reaching out and being told that, you know, actually we really do not have any excess fabric, like maybe to be able to make some scrunchies or something, but not Mm -hmm. enough to be able to make totes. Like they're so particular about that to ensure that again, they don't have waste. And so that for sure aligns with what we're all about being the good, using your space to empower others. Um, And I think a lot of that too goes down to like, we recently opened our first storefront and that's in St. Louis. And we have this amazing group of women. We all work together to create just a really positive environment for not only each other, but for whoever comes in and shops there. So I think that, you know, those values and just accepting people for who they are, meeting them where they're at, like that just reigns true and pretty much everything that that we do that's the intention Mm -hmm. I love it and I do want to ask more about the store but first I want to 
kind of dive into more um, the kind of shift to manufacturing your own pieces versus just buying blanks to print on because that is can be super involved and it can be a a big process so what was that process like Um, and yeah kind of what were kind of the first things you did to get that started when you were looking into kind of making your own pieces for the brand? Definitely. So to be honest, I had absolutely no idea where to start. Like I would Google this and I, I mean, I didn't even know what a tech pack designer was. Like I mm-hmm. didn't know what a pattern was. I don't know how to sew. I kept trying to find, you know, manufacturers that were creating, you know, you do smaller batches because that's my fear. And I know it's the same fear of so many people who are starting smaller businesses or starting their brands is like, what if all of a sudden it it's not popular anymore. What if it doesn't mm-hmm. sell anymore in the way that you want? And you've invested all of this capital into something that you product that you can't move. So I was really afraid of that, but we kind of were actually forced into it um, because of the pandemic. So we had been using blanks from the same companies and we, the very start of the pandemic, I really thought that, you know, our business would probably be no longer. I'm like, why do people care about t-shirts? during a time when, you know, we have so many bigger things happening, but it actually completely skyrocketed our business and transformed it. Um, We had just joined a wholesale platform and all of a sudden we went from having like, you know, four or five wholesale orders a year to having like six or seven a day. Sometimes it was so extreme and we were printing everything um, with a local screen printer. We could barely like keep up with it. Um, and then we started experiencing all the supply chain issues. So shirts that would take us typically 48 hours to get in our hands. We're taking sometimes two weeks. We're sometimes completely out of stock. We couldn't get a consistent product, especially when it came to the kids stuff, because the options out there for blanks are already so limited. Mm-hmm. So I tried to explore their options and my aunt, um, she lives in Brooklyn and one of her best friends is a fashion designer. Um, it has worked for some very large retailers and my aunt set up a call between the two of us. Um, and I just asked her like, Hey, I don't, where do I start? Like, I don't even know what to do. And she recommended a company that she'd worked with called to the market. And basically they're, you know, the middleman between you and the factory. So, um, for someone like me who doesn't know anything about it, it was a really great way to be able to make our own stuff and have some guidance in the process. Um, cause I, I literally, like I keep saying it, but I have no idea where to start. So um, I got connected with them and they at the time were also a very small, newer company. And the whole, the whole focus was to create sustainable and ethical supply chain solutions for major retailers. And nice. they took me on. Yeah, it was great. Um, they were able to hit the pricing that I needed and also, you know, because we were spent, we spent a lot of time coming up with the fit of the shirt and coming up with what we wanted because we didn't want to just, you know, go with the same thing we had. We wanted to tweak it a little bit to be exactly what, what we wanted. So that process took like six months, a lot of samples. And during that time, um, my husband and I really explored ways to get the capital to actually make it happen because we knew that if, you know, we were going to produce our own garments, the turnaround time is obviously so much longer. So we would have to buy in such a large quantity that it was going to cost way more than what we had. So we worked with the small business development center and we, you know, 
found a line of credit and we did things to where we were able to get funding for that first order, which was terrifying. Um, <laughs> I think so many of us as small businesses are very debt averse. So it can be absolutely terrifying to do something like that. But we were getting the order so consistently that we felt like the option was, you know, there was no other option that seemed like the way to go. So we were able to secure that. And so by the time, you know, it came time to pay for our order, we had all of that lined out. And um, so that's what we did. And we got our first order, like we started the process in August of 2020. We didn't get our first order until mid-July of 2020. And that's when we made 2021. Oh, sorry. 2021. Yes. That's right. Yeah. So it was a very long drawn out process um, with so many details that I had never even thought about, you know, the Pantone colors of the fabric. Like, luckily, Mm -hmm. I'm so familiar with screen printing. I knew about the ink and all of that and exactly what we wanted there. But everything else, you know, fabric weights, like, these are things that you don't know until you know. And Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, the process was stressful and scary and uh, really long, at least it felt that way. But through it, we were able to learn so much about what that looks like, and also figure out ways that we can support growth in our business um, that we didn't even know existed. So it was, yeah, that's kind of the long story of what that all looks like. Yeah, and that's super interesting. And I'm so glad that it like worked out and you were able to find factories and this um, kind of go-between agency and the funding you needed to make it happen. And yes, it is It is a long process. I think during the time that you were doing this, like 2020, 2021, there were, it was an extra long process because mm-hmm. everything was delayed and backordered and um, shipping was just like, who knew and if it will there. actually yeah. get there kind of thing. Um so it's normally maybe not quite that long, especially like once you have a product that's approved and established, like to get a new order. But yeah, it's like you doing it for the first time during that time period. Um, you had kind of a, a lot of a big uphill battle to get that going, but it sounds like um, it, it did like super well for your business and you know, you said you kind of, it opened up more opportunities for growth. Totally. Yeah. Cause it was like, one, we were able to really set ourselves apart from other brands that were doing the same thing. Cause I know, you know, during the pandemic, so many other small businesses emerged Mm because people were really having the time to be able to invest in their passions. And so there were so many other t-shirt companies and onesie companies that came out. Um, but by being able to produce our own product and knowing that, hey, you know, hey, everything is organic cotton now. Like we get to also choose all the Pantones. We were able to set ourselves to elevate our brand in a way that we'd never really been able to before. Um, we also, you know, were able to fill all our wholesale orders really fast. Like it did, it was a big transition for us, but yeah, in a very positive way. I think too, you know, the other part of all that is when we started working with to the market and we started exploring the idea of manufacturing, we were still running polish prints out of our garage. So mm-hmm. it was like, we, in that time, we not only placed this huge order before we actually knew where we were going to put it, but we transitioned into, we have a very small warehouse over in Maryville, Illinois. 
Um, so it's like very small, maybe 1500 square feet, but great for us. So it was like, you know, that kind of came out of the woodwork. It was like all the pieces just kind of fell into place when they needed to, which Mm -hmm. was really, really great. And I feel like that is such a common theme in so many people's business journeys that when they really step outside of their comfort zone and they take those big steps that feel really scary, things kind of come together to, to support that. Yeah, I, I totally agree. And I've seen that in my own business as well. Of I'm also very risk and debt averse. Yeah. Um, and like my my business is a little different. You know, I'm not a product business. So like inventory and um you know warehousing stock is not something that I'm having to deal with, but just like investments in different software or, you know, contract help and stuff like that. It's like they're scary decisions, but then so far I've not like regretted any of like the big decisions I've made. And like, I didn't make them lightly because, you know, like you said, it, they're scary. So it's like, you take so long to think about it and you're like, okay, I'm going to do it. And then yeah. and, it, and you're like, why didn't I do this sooner after <laughs> you do it? But, Always. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um. So you've talked a little bit about this, but I'm curious, how has the business and your role in it changed throughout the years? I mean, I feel like my role has kind of always been the same, to be honest. Like we, you know, we have this very small team, but still there's only two of us that are full-time. So, mm-hmm. you know, doing all the things that we do, that's, I feel like very impressive, but also something that, you know, we hope to change. Um, I've, I still design most of the products um, or collaborate with others to do that. Um, So I think that, yeah, my role has been relatively consistent, just, just in the overall scope of PP as it's grown. Mm -hmm. But it seems like the, like where, where the business is has changed. You mentioned kind of like it was in your spare bedroom and then your garage and now you have a warehouse. So Oh yeah. Um, it's it's grown and grown in the it looks it sounds like you're you're working in a different environment than when you started, even if your your actual like day-to-day tasks are similar. Totally. Yeah. I mean it started out being super small and as a hobby, we had a our eight by eight guest bedroom and then went to um when we moved here to Edwardsville, it moved out into our garage. We had a detached garage that just became the the PP zone and then then we moved into our warehouse and then now we, you know, have this store. So I think that just seeing that progression has been really incredible. Yeah. So cool. Um, So back to kind of like making like big decisions um, to grow the brand or, you know, it, it's scary, but how do you have any kind of advice for other entrepreneurs? Um, about when to know when it is the right time to make a big decision like that or like how did you know and do you have any advice for making those kinds of scary decisions in a business yeah I feel like there's always going to be scary ones right like you know Mm -hmm. I remember the first time I ever outsourced anything which was accounting Mm -hmm. and it was terrifying to me I was like oh how am I ever going to pay for this but in the end, you have to realize that some of those things are how your business grows. Like not only does it free up time for you to be able to put to work on your business versus in your business, um, but it also helps you keep your sanity. So 
I think, you know, the cup, like the biggest decisions that I personally have had to make, like when we signed on for our warehouse, that was huge for me. I was so terrified. Um, but I just kept thinking about the fact that one, we needed it to be able to house all the inventory. And two, I was able to take a look at what our sales were like and what we were paying people, paying myself and no, you know, really outline what, what we could afford and what we couldn't. And I knew that it was, it was sustainable for us. Um, Mm -hmm. So, and I also had the security of knowing that in, in our, um, in our lease, if we really needed to bow out, we could do that. We had like a 30 day pause type of thing. So that also gave me the comfort where if things really went south, we were able to do that. Um, I Mm -hmm. think for a lot of business owners, hiring people, like I mentioned, hiring the accountant, but um, Claire, who works with us is amazing. And she was my very first full-time hire and not only just full-time, but we were able to do, you know, retirement benefits and things like that, that I've never been able to provide employees with, which is like a really powerful feeling to have as a business owner. Um, Mm -hmm. but it can also be scary because you're really committing. And so I think just knowing, you know, where you want your business to go and outlining how to get there and what you're, you're actually capable of of doing. Um, and there are also, you know, consultants out there that can help you working with a good accountant who can really look at your profit and loss sheets and know what is feasible for you. Um, I think having a handle on your finances, on your finances can make you feel a lot more secure Mm -hmm. in making those big decisions. Yeah, I was gonna, I was gonna mention that it seems like you have a very good, like you're very aware of kind of like the business and the financial health of Polish Prints. And so when you're looking at these big decisions, you can kind of look at the numbers or the, the orders coming in or the, you know, how much expenses can I handle sustainably and kind of have comfort in like, okay, we can't afford this. This is not going to like run the business into the ground. If I make this decision that, you know, feels like the right decision, but like you actually have the numbers to say like, yes, this does make sense. Totally. And I think too, you have to think about it as like, no decision is ever permanent. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, you can always change things up. You can always adjust. Um, you know, it's not necessarily going to make you or break you unless it's a really bad decision. Yeah. But, you know, I think that sometimes business owners and just people in general get really nervous about making those huge decisions because they don't always feel comfortable. They can feel very scary. And we're so used to associating that feeling with something bad or something that maybe isn't the right thing. But I don't think that's always the case. I think that sometimes those, you know, that feeling can come when you are doing the right thing. It's just you've never done it before. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I think just being able to fully understand what you're what you're capable of. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good point. And you didn't say it, so I don't want to put words in your mouth, but it like reminded for me for me, I feel like sometimes it's like there's a fa- fear of failure, but sometimes there's also a fear of success too. Where oh my like, gosh. This is a he- like this could this could drastically grow the business. And like, can I handle that? You know, totally kind of a, a, it sounds silly to say, but I think that's often true as well. Well, I think, you know, I think I'm absolutely right. Um, It's, it's also one of those things of getting a clear picture of where do you want your business to go? 
Because mm-hmm. there are some days where I'm like, I would love for Polish Prince to be this huge company and have us franchise and do all these things. And then other days I'm like, meh, like being a really small, intimate company is nice. Um, mm-hmm. So I think it's, you know, knowing where you want to be and then seeing how much what you want to do to get there is is really it. But yeah, I mean, the fear of of growth and scaling and taking off like that is very, very real. I think a lot of people don't always realize all the work that goes into it. You know, you, you see mm-hmm. so many people going like viral on TikTok and then all of a sudden all their products are selling out. And I think a lot of people see that and they're like, that is so cool. Like, I wish that was me. And sometimes I see that and I'm like, oh my gosh, I like, are they doing would be, okay? I would be shipping like, stuff day and night for days. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, like are they are they like how are they handling this? Because that mm-hmm. is so much, you know, and all the things that come with it. So yeah, I, I think there's definitely like pros and cons to all of it. Mm-hmm. For sure. Um, so you mentioned before that you started selling wholesale too at some point. Like, how did those wholesale partnerships come about? Yeah, so definitely in a number of different ways. Um the first ones found me on Instagram and they reached out um, and there's some of them are still shops that we sell to today. Some of them were local and knew what I was doing. Um, but you know, it's funny. I, at the very beginning, I only reached out to like one whole potential like boutique to sell our stuff. And this was before I knew, I didn't even know what a line she was. Like, I was just <laughs> like, Hey, I started printing these onesies. Do you, do you want to buy them? And she was just the sweetest. And she was like, do you have a line sheet? And I was like, no, I haven't created that yet. Um, she's like, what are your prices? I was like, mm, I'm not quite sure. Like I was the most unprepared <laughs> that you could possibly be for that conversation. And she was so patient and kind and really lined out like, Hey, this is what you're going to need if you want to do this. So Um, At that time, this was in like 2019, um, I spent a lot of time creating, um, I was using Square for our website and I created like a wholesale portal. So where I could send, you know, I could pitch our brand to different retailers and they could order directly through that with the wholesale pricing. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I probably emailed like one or two retailers. I'm not great with rejection. So not hearing back, I just like would let it drop. And um, you know, then we started having people reach out to us. Like I said, most of them found us on Instagram and wanted to wholesale. I just do it all through the side, invoicing them through QuickBooks. And then on, I guess it was March of 2020, um, joined FAIR. So I'd heard about okay. FAIR quite a bit and I was always really averse to it because of the commission. Cause if, you know, if someone's listening to this and isn't familiar with FAIR, it's a wholesale platform. And the whole idea, especially in the beginning, was to find a space for all these really unique makers and these great brands um, that maybe didn't align with like fashion go and maybe weren't quite at a place to be able to go to big markets. And it was just like an online marketplace for that. But on first time orders from people who find you through fair, there's a 25% commission. That's off Mm. your wholesale price. So that's a huge, I mean, that cuts your margins down so much that- I was like, there's no way we can afford to do that. Um, So I just, you know, back then it was invite only. They contacted me several times. I was like, yeah, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. And then we were able to increase our retail prices um, to be more what the market was at that time. And that created a nice little cushion to be able to actually do fair. So I joined, yeah, right before the pandemic and it just, 
that is what transformed our business was wow. fair. Yeah. During, I mean, it seems like everybody shifted from going to market during the pandemic because they couldn't to buy yeah. fair. And all of a sudden it was like, that's yeah. When I said we went from getting like five wholesale orders to year to sometimes getting five, six, seven or more in a day. Um, that's not an exaggeration. It was constant. Wow. And um, we had to just scale really fast. And with it being during the pandemic and not having, you know, a lot of contact with other people, it was just me. My son was also born. My second was born on May, March 10th. So literally the day the NBA shut down. So I have like this newborn, I have all these wholesale orders. Um, I was like, I don't know how I'm going to do this. And coincidentally, my brother-in-law at the time, I mean, he's still my brother-in-law, but at the time he owned <laughs> a, um, owned an event-based business and he had an employee. And because, you know, all of his events were going to be canceled because of the nature of everything. Um, she actually lived near me and needed some extra work and came and started working for me. And she worked for me for almost three years. Oh, and wow. she, yeah, it was just like amazing. I mean, she came into my garage in the hottest days and some of the coldest days and packed up all these orders um, and really was the reason why our business even made it during that time was having that help. So cool. Yeah, it's like everything... You, you could look at it and be like, wow, that was like terrible timing <laughs> right before a pandemic. You have a newborn, like everything's yeah. shutting down. Um, but then it seemed like everything, it, like it ended up kind of being perfect timing in a lot of ways. It really was. I mean, it, you know, created so many different opportunities. And with us doing everything, I mean, essentially made to order, like we would have our screen printer who still, you know, was in the champagne area. So I'd meet him once a week in Springfield to pick up our orders. So we had, you know, a little over a week turnaround time. So everything was really just about pulling and packing and getting these things shipped out. And Haley, who is my employee's name, she came once or twice a week and was there for like 10 hours. Um, and then I would pack in the mornings or in the evenings on the other days. So I mean, we were able to really get it out and yeah, mm -hmm. again, it, it's what gave us the stability to put, go, go into a warehouse and we hired one other person and, um, just actually become a, a thriving business. So that was, yeah, it was really neat. That's amazing. Yeah. So with fair, is it, is the commission just that high on the first order? Cause I didn't, I've, I've heard of fair before in some of my, uh, the brands I work with sell through fair, but I didn't realize it was so high. It is really high. Um, so they have some uh, opportunities to be able to bypass that. So um, on reorders, it's 15%, which I mean, is still a decent amount. Mm -hmm. So you have that. Um, the 25 is only for those who find you through fair. If you, gotcha. if people have ordered from you before, or if they're ordering through your direct link, um, or if you've uploaded their email address into FAIR at any point, or you even have proof of reaching out to them, whether it's an Instagram message or something like that prior to the date they order from you on FAIR, it is 0% commission. Oh, nice. And FAIR offers this program for FAIR insiders because um, we also buy through FAIR for our shops. So we get to kind of see both sides, but mm -hmm. they, for FAIR insiders, you know, some, for a number of the brands, you can get free shipping. So like, that's a huge benefit to retailers is to not have to mm -hmm. pay for shipping. It's a huge benefit to brands because brands never have to pay for the shipping. Um, so even though you're 
giving the, getting these commissions on a number or paying out these commissions on a number of orders, I think there's also a lot of really positive things there too. You're kind of like paying for these additional benefits for your customer. Mm -hmm. Well, yeah. actually the customer pays for it. Oh, okay. So they, they become fair insiders. So like as a retailer, you pay, I think it's like $25 a month. Um, gotcha. But there are so many brands you buy from that you don't have to pay the shipping, which nice. is awesome. Yeah, fair covers it. So it doesn't get put on the brand either. Cool. Yeah, I yeah. didn't realize that. Um. So yeah, so you opened a brick and mortar shop last year as well. Yeah. Um, can you tell us a little bit more about that? Yeah, we're crazy. Um, it was so not something that we had planned. It was, I think, maybe a very long-term goal. Like, it would be so cool to have a shop one day to really get more in touch with the community and meet people in real life. And um, it was funny. It was, like, Claire's second week on the job. We were dropping off a wholesale order um, at the City Foundry in St. Louis. And we started talking to them about open spaces there. And um, within a week, we had a meeting set up with their leasing officer and ended up signing like two weeks later. And this was in, I mean, like probably the very end of October. I think our lease date was November 4th and we opened the week after Small Business Saturday and Thanksgiving. So I think the first week of December maybe. Oh, wow. um, so it was like just- Super fast. <laughs> so fast, all hands on deck. We don't have retail experience. Um, I mean, when where we do, it's like very minimal. Like I worked in a like, shop for a summer in a vacation town like it's you know not <laughs> not deep retail experience so um we really leaned into people in our lives who are more experts in that space to guide us um we really just also leaned into ikea and all of the <laughs> the like fixtures we could get from there and um the good thing was though we have most of the inventory so nice. we were able to um, you know, use that to furnish the place and get to a, get to a place where we had, you know, a thriving store. Um, when we opened, I think we had hired like one other person and, you know, during the next week we had a number of people come in and apply and we grew the team and it's the same, same group of, of women today. Yeah, that's so cool. Um, that's like crazy fast to like set up a store and especially like if you weren't planning it for a long time and like right around the holidays, which tends to be like a really busy shopping um, time of year as well. Um, I'm interested to know like how creating a physical space for Palish Prince was different or were there any challenges or fun things um, in involved in that after years of digital selling essentially yeah I mean I think the hardest part has really been to um one get into a good flow of like keeping inventory and also you know the product assortment fresh like I feel like we're constantly ordering um other brands to bring into the store because we don't just sell our stuff in there we really try and bring in products that we think you know the women and kids who are shopping in our store are also going to be into gotcha. so trying to diversify that assortment, um, figuring out, you know, how to get more people in because having it at Foundry, it's way busier during the weekends than it is during the week. So how do we find ways to draw people to our store during the week? We've started to host some different events and partner with other um, businesses in the community to, again, just 
you know, do something different and make it more fun. Um, but I think just having, you know, with not having the retail experience or understanding totally how to merchandise the space, like we're already talking about ways to change it from where we started, you know, different, mm -hmm. um, like different racks to use or different like wall fixtures to put in that, you know, just because we were starting to realize what, how customers are shopping and what attracts them into buying a product that we didn't mm -hmm. know in the first place. Yeah, I bet that's super interesting. And it sounds like from that kind of where you started was just like playing with what works and what you liked and seeing what resonates. And so are you having fun kind of, <laughs> you know, learning all this and like gathering all this new information and, and like tweak, making little tweaks to make it better and better? Totally. Yeah. I mean, it's really cool also to see what people are drawn to, right? Like mm -hmm. we had no idea coming in whether, you know, just what products to carry, like we, aside from our own. Um, and we found most of the people coming in are really into more gifty items. So we have a lot of fun with that. We bring in, you know, cool kids backpacks and like we sell kids sunglasses and, you know, we just, for us, our in-house brand started launching a, a bunch of koozies, like things that are really easy for people to be able to grab and gift. And mm -hmm. it's fun to curate it and see what people are drawn to. And it's also really cool to see how they engage with our brand in real time because we've never, you know, we ship to stores, but we never get to see it. So it's just, it's cool. Yeah, I bet. That's so fun. Have you yeah. noticed um, any differences in like the shopping experience or like what items are best sellers between brick and mortar in your online store or your wholesale as well? Yeah, I mean, it is funny because there are a number of shirts that we, you know, either A, over ordered in the beginning um, that we've tried to push out through our store um, that people don't order as much of. And then, or sorry, that we've tried to push out online, people don't order as much of, but they buy them all the time in store. Like we just did a collection of kids leggings. And it's so funny to me because we've sold a very small number of them online. But I mean, I think most days in the store, at least on the weekends, I've seen people buy a pair or two. Um, so, cause they see them in person, they get to feel them. Like mm -hmm. it's a different experience than buying things online. And it also really shows how powerful imagery is online. Like if you have products that don't have the right imagery, chances are they're probably not going to do as well as the ones that do. Yeah. That's so interesting. I would, I'm a little bit of like a data nerd. And like, yeah. so to like see all the numbers behind that stuff would be so fascinating to me of like, Ooh, this is really interesting. I wonder why that is. And like, yeah, I bet it's super fun. Um, yeah, I think to it. Oh, sorry. No, go ahead. No, I was just going to say I'm, I'm with you that I think it is really interesting. And it's also just, I don't know, people are attracted to different things in person than they are in a store. And that's just such a unique thing to be able to witness firsthand. Mm -hmm. I bet. Um, so another thing that I'm curious about with having you know, retail on your own site, wholesale through fair and um, a store, a physical store is kind of the pricing. Cause I think that can be a huge challenge for some brands. And you mentioned kind of starting out like fair did not work because of the pricing, but then you were able to raise your kind of retail prices. Um, so how do you navigate that? And like, has that been like, and it sounds like maybe a little bit of an evolution to find the sweet spot to be able to sell in all those three areas and still make the the money side work. Yeah, I think 
so one, I think we have more flexibility because of manufacturing, whereas, you know, makers who are out there really hustling, um, it can be a little bit more challenging to figure out like a sweet price point there. Mm-hmm. But basically, I mean, from the beginning, we've always taken, you know, the tale is oldest time approach to it, where it's twice the production prices are wholesale and twice the wholesale prices are retail. Mm-hmm. And that was really where, you know, what we've held true to now when COVID hit and when there was a lot, there were a number of price increases um, just in materials in general, right? Like cotton got more expensive and like, yeah. you know, all these different things Then we really had to adjust that. Um, and, you know, we weren't making the margins that we wanted on some of those items, but then we started to bring in other items that had higher margins. So like we have cocktail glasses, for example, you know, cocktail, mm-hmm. like we sell them one for thirteen fifty retail, and then we sell them wholesale or sorry, um, four for 40 retail. And so the margins on those are way healthier than on some of our apparel. So I think it's also just like, you know, making sure that what you're pricing your products at is in line with the market because you can't be so high that, mm-hmm. you know, people are going to question why, like we can't sell like a $40 onesie. Um, so there's that, but I think also making sure that you're paying yourself enough. And when you're doing pricing for wholesale, um, cause typically, I mean, keystone pricing for wholesale is 50% of your retail mm-hmm. and that's so standard. So and sometimes more, sometimes people want to, you know, two times, two and a half times as much versus just two. So, yeah. um, you know, I think it's making sure that from the time you start producing your product that you're keeping all of that in mind because you want to make sure you're making money. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, so true. We're, I, I think oftentimes starting out, like brands costs are the highest when they're first starting out mm-hmm. and they tend to price their products still too low where like there's no room for wholesale in the middle. It's like they they set their retail at at or only slightly above what wholesale is instead of doing the four like the you know four x for yeah. leaving two x for wholesale and then another two x for retail and so it can be it can be a challenge I think of like figuring out where that sweet spot but it sounds like you really again like I've looked at the numbers and figured out like what is the best strategy for this to make sure yeah you're getting paid your customers are getting a good price and you're still you know making a quality product with the you know cost that you're putting into making it absolutely yeah um yeah so this is all super cool um what are you most proud of in so far in kind of the whole journey with polished prints yeah, I mean, I think the biggest thing, honestly, is the are the products that we've started to make most recently. Our mom crop, we're getting ready to launch a line of smock dresses, um, and all of them were so intentionally designed from the fabric to the fit, to the colors that we chose, all to just be functional, be as functional as they are stylish, um, and that is something that super proud of, especially because I think that. A lot of other women like myself are going to wear them and feel confident, um, just like mm-hmm. I do when I put them on. And it's really exciting to bring something new that I don't feel like is out there. Yeah, yeah, super excited to see them when they come out. Yeah. When do they have? You have a launch date for them yet? 
Yeah. So the mom crops are already out, um, but the mm -hmm. smock dresses, I think where it's, we are waiting for them to get delivered. So they're supposed to be here by Monday or like on, oh, wow. hopefully on Monday. Yeah. Okay. So, so yeah, by the already, time this episode comes out, people will be able to ship. I hope so. I hope so. I feel like we, you know, you always in the world of shipping, there's always some type of um, delay. So we're really keeping our fingers crossed that that rains true, but if so, but yeah, by the time this airs, Cool. Awesome. And so then the last question that I have that I ask everyone at the end of the interview is if you could communicate one value to the world through the clothes you design, what would it be? Um, communicate one value just about what we design? Yeah. Like what do you want the, the clothes or the items you create to say? Or how do you want people to feel when they see them or wear them kind of thing? I want them to feel really good about themselves and proud every time they put them on. Like mm -hmm. I want them to put our dresses on and know that they look freaking amazing um, regardless of what season that they're in and just mm -hmm. feel empowered in who they are. Wonderful. So cool. Um, well, this has been really great, Leah, to hear a little bit more about your story and background and like all the amazing things and growth that's happened with Polish Prince over the years. Um, where can people find out more about you and Polish Prints online and in person? Yeah, so polishprints.com or on Instagram, just at Polish Prints. Cool. I'll put links to those in the show notes. And thanks so much for joining me today. Thank you, Allison. I appreciate it so much. Thank you for having me. Yeah. That's all for today. Thanks Bye. for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with a friend. And if you would like more episodes and resources like this about growing a fashion business that fits your customer, lifestyle, and values, send straight to your inbox. You can sign up for my email list at alisonhainis.com newsletter. That's A-L-I-S-O-N-H-O-E-N-E-S dot com slash newsletter. Again, thank you for listening, and I hope you'll join me for the next episode of How Fitting.